0: This episode of Mayo Clinic Talks is brought to you by National Dairy Council. Since 1915, National Dairy Council is dedicated to research and education of dairy foods. As a nonprofit organization founded by dairy farmers, National Dairy Council is committed to providing science-based education on dairy's nutritional benefits for health and wellness. Learn more at usdairy.com backslash National Dairy Council.
1: This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Daryl Chutka, a general internist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Arthritis of the hip or knee is a common cause of pain and disability. It can result in significant limitations in mobility and reduced quality of life. Hip and knee replacements can change all that. They're safe, they have a high success rate, and can allow the patient to get back to a healthy, active lifestyle. But who's a candidate for hip or knee replacement? What's the optimal timing of the procedure? What's important in obtaining an optimal outcome from surgery? And what are the potential complications of a hip or knee replacement? Our guest for today's podcast is Dr. Matthew Abdal, an orthopedic surgeon at the Mayo Clinic, and I'll be asking him these questions and more as we discuss the surgical management of hip and knee arthritis. You're listening to Mayo Clinic Talks. Matt, thank you for joining me, and this is going to be an interesting topic.
0: Yeah, Daryl, thanks for having me. It's certainly a topic near
1: and dear to my heart. I'm sure it is. I want to ask you a question that I've been curious about for years. I've been impressed by the fact that sometimes the x-rays of a joint don't correlate with their symptoms. For example, some patients have a lot of disability and symptoms, yet their x-rays don't look that bad. And others with just terrible x-rays, you know, bone on bone are really doing fairly well. So how important are the x-ray findings versus the patient's symptoms in determining whether they're a candidate for surgery?
0: Yeah, Daryl, in reality, both are important. So in a perfect world, the symptoms would match radiographs. But oftentimes, there's soft tissue pain around the hip and the knee that might contribute to the symptoms that we don't see on x-rays. And sometimes advanced imaging, such as an MRI or CT scan, can be helpful to show things such as a small fracture, avascular necrosis, or that's the bone dying underneath. They may cause symptoms that are quite profound, but are not shown on radiographs. Now there are a spectrum of disease processes. Some people have lots of symptoms with minimal x-ray changes and some have minimal symptoms with more profound x-ray changes. And this highlights to us that people are different. And that's why it's important to see your provider and your surgeon.
1: Let's talk a little bit about the timing of a procedure. I believe that these devices that you're putting in have a typical lifespan. So I imagine you don't wanna do the procedure too early in life yet you don't want to wait until the patient's quite old and has a lot of chronic medical problems. So how do you balance that?
0: It's probably the biggest innovation, really, maybe almost all of surgery, but certainly in orthopedic surgery. The materials that we now use have longevity that puts us at 20, 30, 40 years. And so typically patients who had both radiographic findings and symptoms that warranted a hip or knee replacement we would limit the use of those procedures, worried that it would wear out. (laughs) And now we say, if the joint's worn out, the symptoms warranted, the surgeon agrees, we do believe that the implants will last two to four decades, and we will do it in younger and younger patients.
1: That's really good news because I've had a fair number of patients in the past who probably would have benefited from an earlier procedure, but
0: mm-hmm.
1: really didn't want to have a second procedure. So they put up with the pain for maybe, you know, almost a decade before the surgery was done. So that's that's great news. So do you very often do bilateral arthroplasties, either the hip or the knee?
0: Yeah, bilateral is often or both joints at the same time is often an area of debate among surgeons. So I do do it, but I'm actually a surgeon that does it less frequently than others. And there's three main camps here. There are some surgeons that do it pretty routinely if the patient symptoms and the radiograph support it, and that's at the same setting. There's some that never do it, and there's some that selectively do it. We always say there are unique risks that come with bilateral simultaneous hip or knee replacements. And those are risk of blood clot, risk of medical complications, and just a tougher recovery. That being said, you get both procedures done and you have one recuperation period. So uh, it's done, but in about a rate of 1% to 2%. Mm
1: -hmm. Okay. I know the patients that I see that have had either a hip or a knee replaced, their most common comment to me is, man, I wish I'd had this done sooner. You see these patients back afterwards. What... Is their satisfaction with the procedure?
0: It's a remarkable procedure, both of them, and actually a little bit more successful for the hip over the knee. So, for the vast, vast majority of hip patients approaching 100%, we want them to forget that they've even had the hip replacement done, that they go on with a normal life and they can't tell the replaced side versus the non replaced side. For knee replacement, also massively successful, maybe not as successful as hip replacement, but approaching 95 to 98% satisfaction with the procedure. And most patients, as you said, Daryl, say, I wish I would have done this sooner.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's pretty great results. That's amazing. So as part of a hip replacement or a knee replacement, these patients are usually given physical therapy. How important is it for them to continue that
0: as directed? Yeah, physical therapy is an important portion of both hip and knee replacement recovery. But a little different so for hip replacement we will teach patients exercise and we actually recommend against formal physical therapy rather the majority of us will recommend flat level walking for the first three months and then from three months for the rest of their lives we'll recommend low impact activities such as biking elliptical or swimming to stay active and fit Mm -hmm. for knee replacement We do recommend physical therapy in most scenarios for about six weeks after surgery with some targeted exercises. And we recommend that patients continue those really a couple of times per week for the rest of their life to keep the muscles around the knee strong, which helps with the durability of the knee replacement.
1: Okay. Well, Matt, let's now talk about each individual joint. First the hip, then we'll cover the knee. In terms of hip replacement, what are the surgical options for a patient who has advanced hip arthritis?
0: Yeah, for advanced hip arthritis, a little bit to what we talked about earlier, the materials, particularly polyethylene, that's a plastic bearing surface in the hip, has had remarkable data at 25 years now, showing us longevity that we anticipate, For several decades, and so for advanced hip arthritis, the go-to treatment is a total hip replacement or a total hip arthroplasty. In the past, we considered things like hip fusion, where you connected the bones. We considered half hip replacements, we call it hemiarthroplasty, and we considered hip resurfacing, where you just resurface the femoral head. All of those have fallen out of favor for a traditional hip replacement with contemporary bearings.
1: You mentioned increased longevity of the uh, procedure, which is a major advancement.
0: Mm -hmm. What
1: else would you consider to be some of the latest advances in hip replacement? What's new?
0: Yeah, what's new is a lot. A lot has changed. And I give a lot of credit to our friends in anesthesia. The perioperative pain management has been one of the most remarkable advancements in hip and knee arthroplasty. So our anesthesia colleagues now utilize spinal anesthetics that are short-acting. They give great pain control and mitigate the risk of general anesthesia. We now do surgeon-directed periarticular injections at the time of surgery that prevent any motor weakness after the surgery and give great pain control in an efficient manner. And our anti-nausea and fluid resuscitation protocols are superb and really best in class. And so patients after surgery are fluid resuscitated, have minimal nausea, vomiting, have strong legs that they can walk on, and they haven't undergone the risks of general anesthesia. So that's been a big win. Mm -hmm. In addition, our medical management of patients has markedly improved, as you know, Daryl. So we now utilize medications like transexemic acid that have reduced blood transfusions with routine hip replacements from 40% down to less than 1%. So pretty rare to lose substantial blood in surgery and require any sort of treatment for that after surgery.
1: Well, what I'm hearing you say is this is basically a team effort. You depend on a lot of your colleagues to uh, get a successful result, and that's great. Absolutely. I suspect it depends on the type of procedure you're doing, but what's the typical recovery time for a hip replacement?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. I tell patients that in general, they can follow a two plus two plus two algorithm. For the first two weeks, you'll require some pain medications and some gait aid. After that, most people are off pain medications and off gate aids. By two months, you largely feel like yourself and are able to get back to all of your activities that you want to do. And by two years, you've largely recuperated from every aspect of the hip and knee replacement and mostly do not remember You've had the procedure done. And so that's kind of a, a big 100,000 foot view of the recuperation for patients.
1: I imagine that what you want to avoid is a failed hip replacement requiring revision. How successful is a uh, hip replacement surgery?
0: Well, contemporary hip replacement surgery is very successful. But I always tell my patients and, and encourage them to pick the right individual surgeon and the right institution and let them do what they're best at. Mm-hmm. And so there's a component that's related to the team, as we talked about earlier, and the institution. We're very fortunate at Mayo Clinic. to be best in class in all aspects of the care we provide for hip arthritis, including our perioperative management. We have skilled surgeons and the implants have improved. So when you put those all together, we really target 98, 99 to 100% success with these procedures. Now, complications do occur. We take care of a large number of redo hip and knee replacements referred into Mayo Clinic, but those can largely be avoided on the front end with some simple surgical techniques, implant choices, and perioperative management.
1: Okay. What are the most common complications following a hip replacement?
0: The most common by far for hip surgery is hip dislocation. And it's exactly what it sounds like. The hip is a ball and socket joint. And it gives you all that mobility that we want to afford our patients. But the risk, of course, is that in very high-risk positions, hip can pop out of socket. That is, the head of the hip replacement can pop out of the socket. That's a very painful process for the patient and is the most common complication after hip surgery.
1: So patients have this procedure. Their pain is gone. They're feeling great what do you
0: tell them their limitations are? What should they not do? In general, I tell patients after they've reached that two to three month recovery period that you wanna avoid high impact activities that are done on a regular basis. That is running on a treadmill every other day. That's a high impact activity done every other day. You wanna avoid running, cutting, jumping activities. And the hip will allow you to do those, but you wanna avoid it because you want longevity for the hip replacement. So low-impact activities, very, very much encouraged. High-impact activities can happen. It can be done. And we've got many professional athletes with replaced hips and knees. But if you want that longevity of three, four, five decades, we try to avoid those ones. And then for hip replacements, we try to avoid very extremes of motion to prevent that hip from popping out of the socket.
1: So for those who want to be active and participate in regular exercise, maybe a change in their exercise program uh, is the answer. They can still exercise.
0: Absolutely. Some of the most active patients out there have hip replacements and biking, elliptical, swimming, doubles tennis, golf, hiking, all safe and encouraged athletic events.
1: Okay. Let's talk about the knee. What are the options for surgery for a uh, patient with advanced knee arthritis?
0: Yeah, the knee is a little different than the hip in this area. So we have a couple more options on the knee side for patients with advanced arthritis. Traditionally, we thought about osteotomies or realigning the bones by breaking them in a controlled fashion. That's largely fallen out of favor in the U.S. for knee replacement surgery. Within knee replacement surgery, there are two options that have popularity amongst most surgeons. Number one is a partial knee replacement in which we replace just the portion of the knee that's worn out, typically the inside part of the knee or the medial portion, or we have a total knee replacement in which we replace the inside and the outside of the knee. But even there, there's debate whether or not the kneecap should be replaced. So a little more controversy in the knee than in the hip.
1: Mm -hmm. Any latest advances in uh, knee replacements?
0: a remarkable amount of advancements over the last five years in knee replacement surgery. And I'll break those maybe into three big areas. Number one, and really transformational, is robotic-assisted knee surgery. So at Mayo Clinic, the vast majority of knees replaced are done with robotic assistant. That's accurate, it's precise, it's durable, and it's reliable. And that's been a huge paradigm shift over the last five years. Number two, Most hip replacements are cementless. That means the bone grows into the metal. That was not the case for knee replacements up until just three or four years ago, where now the most common growth is in cementless knee replacements with an unbelievable trajectory and track record. So that's number two. And then really number three is the three-dimensional grasp that we now have on knee surgery and where to place the implants to balance the complex ligaments of the knee with sensors, robotics, technology, and that's been a big advancement in this area of knee surgery. Okay.
1: And again, it depends on the procedure you're doing, but what's the typical recovery
0: time for a knee replacement? The first thing I would say, Daryl, is that the recuperation for a knee replacement is traditionally slower than hip replacement. And that's important for patients to understand. Most people get recuperate after a hip replacement pretty quick, knee replacement just a little bit slower. So as I said, for the hip, it's two plus two plus two. This is about three plus three plus three. So it takes about three weeks to come off of gait aids, but patients are getting better each and every day for those first three weeks and see marked improvements. From three weeks to three months, patients typically get better on a weekly basis. Motion improves, swelling decreases, patients feel better. By three months, they're largely recuperated But over the next nine to 10 months, things such as going up and down stairs become easier. The elliptical swimming and biking becomes easier. And certainly by the time we get to two years, largely patients feel that this knee is similar to better than their non-replaced knee.
1: Okay. So what are the complications? What happens uh, that you don't want to see happen in a knee replacement?
0: Yeah. Well, we, of course, want a perfect outcome for every patient, but the risks for the knee are primarily focused around infection. So the knee rarely dislocates like the hip, but the most common complication, because we can all feel our knees and how close they are to the skin and superficial, the risk of course is wound complications and infection around the knee replacement. So those are the two things that are most common at risk with a knee replacement, even though in small risk, they're the most common complications if a complication does occur.
1: We had a very high success rate for hip replacement. Uh, What's your success rate for knees?
0: Also very high, but not as high. I would put knees somewhere around that 92 to 95% range for a variety of factors, complexity of a knee replacement, complexity of the native anatomy of the knee, and its superficial position and the risk of infection. Just bring it down just a little bit compared to hip replacement, but still massively successful.
1: And what limitations do you give patients who've had a knee replacement?
0: That one's pretty similar to HIPS. So we say low impact activities are okay. High impact activities, particularly with a knee replacement, we try to avoid running, cutting, jumping can be done. Just do it not on a regular basis to mitigate wearing out the knee replacement sooner than it needs to wear out.
1: I've had some patients who need, and I can't remember if it's either knee or hip or maybe both, need a replacement and they want to have it done so they can go skiing again. Is that an acceptable activity? I've never
0: known what to tell them. It's a good question. Yes, it's an acceptable activity. And if someone's a good skier, I recommend that they continue to ski after they recuperate. Now I may say avoid high impact skiing activities, but the vast majority of skiing can be done with low impact good enjoyment and in a safe fashion. So lots of our patients are avid downhill and cross-country skiers. That's
1: amazing. Yep. Uh, The surgery you do is not dainty work. I remember doing a course for a uh, nursing conference one time and uh, we had one of your colleagues talk about a knee replacement and he brought a video with and Mm -hmm. uh, he showed that. The tools you use are pretty much similar to what I use in the wood shop (laughs) and there was bone chips and blood flying all over the place and the audience was a bit surprised. And I think we, it was before lunch. So I think we really saved on a food budget for that year, but uh, (laughs) it's it's pretty interesting surgery.
0: (laughs) It's really fun surgery, but you brought up a couple of points. Number one, it's a technical surgery in which you're balancing ligaments, you're resurfacing bone edges, and you're trying to balance everything out. So a lot of skills that we use in woodworking mm-hmm. transfer into the operating room. So that's a, it's a perfect analogy, that's number one. Number two, I will say that robotics has refined us. It's taken us to the next level of being able to do the procedure with less archaic tools. And now they're very refined, precise to 0.1 millimeters with saw blades and burrs that, refine that procedure. And earlier I mentioned the use of tranexamic acid and tourniquets that has mitigated that kind of blood loss that we've previously seen.
1: Okay. Well, Matt, you've given us some really good information on both hip and knee replacements. Can you kind of summarize our discussion maybe with two or three key points?
0: Happy to. So number one, I would start by saying that hip replacement surgery has been coined the procedure of the century. So for the appropriate patient, it is a remarkable procedure that will give patients their entire life back. And similarly for knees, even though knees are not as good as hips, it's a remarkable procedure that alleviates pain, restores function and gets people back to their activities. That's number one. Number two, choose the institution and the surgeon that you trust and let them do what's best for you. And finally, take care of your joints weight loss is important, activity modification is important, and being physically fit are all important activities before and after surgery.
1: We've been discussing the surgical management of hip and knee arthritis with Dr. Matthew Abdel from the Department of Orthopedic Surgery at the Mayo Clinic. Matt, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us today. Thank you very much,
0: Gerald. I really enjoyed it.
1: You can now listen to over several hundred different medical topics developed for primary care providers on Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts. Find them at ce.mayo.edu or your favorite podcasting app. If you've enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts, please follow us. We're honored to have you as a listener and hope you tune in again next week. Stay well.